My God, what a quarterfinal Saturday at Mohegan Sun. We saw the return of AZ Fudd, as well as two dramatic night session games. And a really good game between Marquette and St. John's on top of that too. The score may not indicate it as such, but it was a very competitive game between two teams currently on the bubble for the NCAA tournament. Recapping all that, here on this episode of the Igloo, day five of the 2023 March Marathon. I mean, let's get right into it. The ninth-ranked UConn Huskies taking on Georgetown. There, I mean, there were murmurs, that, again, that AZ Fudd was going to be ready. You know, she practiced Friday. And all of a sudden, you know, I saw, you know, because UConn's got white warm-up shirts, you know, through it, AZ was in uniform. So that was the indication, oh my God, she's going to play. She had a heavy brace on and was limited to just 17 minutes, but boy, did UConn miss her and in general, That just helped bring their swagger back up. And their defense really brought the swagger from the from the get-go. They held Georgetown at just 12 points in the first half. Wasn't the best offensive performance for, for them by any stretch of the imagination, but they dominated on the glass. And AZ got cooking late in the game. Like, once she got her first shot to fall, I think that's when everything else fell into place. And the Huskies win by 30, 69 to 39, which that margin of victory was their first time winning by double digits since February 1st. Yep, that's right. 69-39 69-39 the final. Aaliyah Edwards was the star here. 19 points, 13 rebounds. Lou Lopez Seneschal with 14 points. 6 of 11 shooting 2 of 5 from behind the arc. Edwards, 8 of 13 from the floor. Uh, Dorky Uhas with a double-double of her own. 13 points, 10 rebounds, 5 of 11 shooting, 1 of 2 from long range. Nika Mule, 7 points, 7 boards, and 5 assists. Aubrey Griffin, 6 points, 11 rebounds, just 2 of 9, though, from the floor. But off the bench, AZ Fudd, 10 points, 3 of 9 shooting, 2 of 6 from long range. You know, I could definitely tell, like, after she knocked down, I mean, the first shot, a little floater in the lane, sure. And it was cool seeing, like, the UConn crowd, like, holding their breath with every shot she took. But once she knocked down her first three, I'm like, okay, she's back to normal. And she, it's not like she was missing by much. She rimmed out multiple shots that she missed. But the second she got, you know, that second look at a three after making her first, I'm like, oh yeah, she's knocking it in. And she did. And I was very fortunate enough to be able to ask AZ a question. So here she is now. Again, she came back against Georgetown, the team she got injured against. So here's what she had to say about that uh, coincidence. AZ, uh, did it kind of feel full circle for you to come back today against Georgetown, the team you had, um, you know, 
last played against before you had gone down again? You know, how did it feel? You know, once you got that first shot down, you know, like did you feel like you were back in rhythm, back to your, uh, you know, yourself when you were back healthy a couple months ago? Yeah, I did. I actually feel better now than I did the last time I played them. So it was nice to be back on the floor against the same team and a little rematch. So I think that'll segue into. Well, kind of segue into Georgetown, you know, what their stats were like, because they weren't pretty. I mean, they really struggled shooting the rock. I mean, they actually knocked down a a few threes, which, again, they started, I mean, they were 0 for 10 on Friday, and they were 0 for 15 from three in the first half. They actually made their first three-point attempt in the second half, so they finally broke a streak of 25 consecutive missed threes at Mohegan Sun. And Georgetown was held to just 20% from the floor, 3 of 27 from long range. So in the second half, 8 of 28 after starting 5 of 36. And talk about, I mean, it was great enough being able to ask a question to AZ, but who clearly got most of the media attention um, after the game because of her return and the star power she brings. But I was so grateful that I... Got to ask a question to the one and only Gino Oriyama, who really spoke slowly, methodically, and eloquently when I asked him about the tremendous defense his team played, especially in the first half. Gino, uh, first half, Georgetown was just 12 points, 5 of 36 from the floor. Um, how impressed were you by that first half defense? How important was it to set that kind of a tone for that first 20 minutes? Everything starts. Everything starts there. Uh, it always has. And any time our defense is as good as it was, uh, it it's followed very quickly by really really good stuff offensively. Um, and when your defense isn't what it was in the beginning of the game or throughout most of the game, it affects what happens on the offensive end too. So. Um, again, I think the players realize this is postseason play. Every possession, you know, matters. Um, and we we did a tremendous job of uh, of executing the game plan. You know, we didn't make very many mistakes defensively. And you know, <clears throat> the last month there's been a lot of that, a lot of mistakes at the worst times. Uh, but today there weren't, there weren't any that mattered. Uh, and if we can do that again tomorrow, you know, play the same kind of defense against either one of these teams, they both, they both score a lot of points, both of these teams. I think, uh, I think it'll give us a chance to do offensively similar things to what we did tonight. Not that we were great on offense either, but we were better. So for Georgetown, they were led by Kelsey Ransom, the only player in double figures, 12 points, 4 of 11 shooting, 2 of 3 from long range. And for context, she was shooting like not even 20% from 3 in the regular season up to that point, and she went 2 for 3 in this game. So 2 of the 3 3-point three makes, she had them. 
Other notable performances, Ariel Jenkins, 20, uh, 20 minutes off the bench, scored nine points and had six rebounds. Kennedy Fauntleroy and Christina Moore, four each. They got a three from Victoria Rivera in 17 minutes. And then two each for Grace Ann Bennett, Brianna Scott, and Yasmin Ott, who, by the way, picked Nika Mule's pocket clean for an easy coast-to-coast layup. And then a free throw from Jada Claude, who was coming off that monster performance against Butler just over 24 hours before that. And, you know, on the losing side, I mean, it's really tough to, you know, see any time, you know, especially, you know, like teams like Georgetown, Butler, Providence, Xavier, you know, seeing the seniors, you know, check out in most likely their final game and seeing the emotions on their face as they're leaving, you know, it's always so painful to watch because like, you know, seeing the realization of this is it, it stings. It really does. And, um, but I will say the Georgetown pep band gave their seniors, uh, Christina and Grace Ann, who the latter of which still has a year of eligibility left. So, you know, her return, possibly TBA could happen, could not. But here's what coach Howard had to say about, um, the vocal pep band of the Hoyas, you know, giving their seniors a proper send off, especially Christina Moore, uh, the Australian, uh, with a little Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. Um, coach, speaking of Grace Ann, um, when her and Christina came off the floor, um, obviously they were very emotional. I mean, um, you know, what were you saying to them as they checked out? And I, as a follow-up one, what did you think about uh, your pep band's uh, tributes uh, as they checked out, especially with um, the Aussie, Aussie, Aussie for Christina? Yeah. Well, you know, you just want to give those two young ladies their last time out there on the biggest floor. Now, again, with Grace Ann, Grace Ann still have a year, but you never know because this young lady is one of the brightest young women I've ever met, and um, she's going to get a great opportunity at Fortune 500 jobs and stuff like that. Um, if she chooses to come back, which I think she's leaning that way, um, she'll be a great piece for us. But we wanted to recognize her just in case she didn't. Okay, and I thought our pep band did a great job in having Christina more for one year. As I told her in that locker room, it's like she's been with us for four years. She brings so much love and passion and laughter to this team. Um, a veteran. Um, so Aussie, 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 for all the things that you know she have done for us, I think our pep band was able to just give her her last, you know, uh, farewell song from George Jones basketball. So, game two, Marquette St. John's. St. John started red hot. Nine to four run out of the gates. But Marquette ended the first quarter on a 9-0 run. And it really was neck and neck throughout the entire game, back and forth. You know, a bunch of lead changes. St. John's led 41-40 heading into the fourth. But Marquette made a lot of plays down the stretch, pulling away and... Chloe Murata 
really took over. And it was the big three of the Golden Eagles carrying the team to a victory and advancing to the semifinals once more. I believe this is their seventh straight semifinal appearance. The the big three of Marquette combined for 50 of their 57 points as they down St. John's. 57-47. Murata with 18 points and 14 rebounds. 8 of 10 shooting. 16 each for Liza Carlin and Jordan King. King, rough shooting day. 5 of 19 from the floor. 1 of 5 from long range. I mean, she did most of her damage, you know, in the first half. Meanwhile, Rose and Kumu with 5 points and uh, 3 assists. And Emily LaChapelle, just two points. No points from the bench. Marquette won this game despite shooting one of nine from long range. 42% overall from the floor. So inside the arc, they were 20 of 41. Uh, St. John's was actually five of 11 from long range. But they just weren't as aggressive. You know, they went 14 of 39 inside the arc. And just weren't aggressive, as aggressive as they should have been, because they only got to you know four, six free throws. Marquette seventeen of them. It was a pretty clean game, though. I think there were only seven fouls in the entire first half, and uh, twenty-one for the whole game. Thirteen for uh, St. John's, eight for Marquette. Uh, Marquette also plus eight on the glass. I mean, UConn was plus twenty. Uh, for context, 58-38 over Georgetown, but a 34-26 rebounding margin in favor of Marquette over the Johnnies. So let's hear now from the winners, uh, starting with uh, Chloe Murata, who really took over in the fourth quarter. And Coach Duffy, you'll hear from after in terms of what she saw from her team, creating the separation they needed. Again, outscoring St. John's 17-6 in the fourth. So, Chloe, obviously, fourth quarter crunch time, you know, the experienced players, that's where they thrive most. I mean, what was working for you, especially in the mid-range game where it seems like you just couldn't miss in that area of the court? Yeah, I mean, Jordan King did a really good job off her reads, I think, and she just found me easy opportunities, you know, um, whether that's, like you said, in the mid-range and then I just got to be confident to knock it down. Um, staying steady throughout the entire thing is really important as well. You know, calm, collected, just shoot the ball when, when you got it and go back and play some good defense. Coach, it was, you know, really neck and neck throughout the entire game, but what do you think was the big X factor or two that led to your team getting the separation they need to pull away and win the game? I mean, to hold them to six points in the fourth quarter, I thought our defensive intensity turned up. I thought we blew up a lot of their um, really good sets they were on. We did an awesome job on Everett, um, just not letting her get easy um, threes or easy pull-ups. Rose Nakuma was tremendous, and then we did enough switching to kind of keep her off balance. Bailey is another talented one that if you lose sight of her, or you know she gets going downhill, um, she's hard to hard to stop. So I thought just the way I thought we got, we looked a little tired in that third quarter, and then how wow how it changed in the fourth quarter of just their tenacity, their fight, their slap in the ground. You know, you know, trying to get our little crowd up involved, which was cool. So just that energy fed off uh, of one another. And um, I mean, that's been our staple all year. So it's really good to see it when it matters the most. Meanwhile, for St. John's, Mimi Reed with 11 points to lead the way. 
Kanasia Bailey had 10 points, 4 of 13 from the floor, and 2 of 5 from long range. Meanwhile, Jayla Everett, uh, their leading scorer in my transfer of the year, 7 points, 3 of 13 shooting, 1 of 3 from long range. Uh, yeah, Unique Drake had 7 off the bench, 2 of 6 from the floor, and even knocked down a 3. Raven People, 6 points, 10 rebounds in 39 minutes. Uh, 4 for Jillian Archer to go with 5 rebounds. She was in foul trouble, as was uh, Everett. Each of them committed 4 fouls. And then Danielle Patterson, 2 points in 9 minutes. So, obviously, if you're St. John's, tough way to go out because, you know, you may have needed one more really good win to get yourself on on the right side of the bubble just to be sure. But, you know, even though you're not going to hear it in this quote I I got from Tartamellon when I asked him a question, you know, he said, listen, you know, we may not have a lot of great wins per se. I mean, we did beat UConn on the road. We've beaten Creighton, Marquette. You know, but the bigger caveat is that they don't have any bad losses. Which he does make a very good point. In my opinion, yeah, I think the Big East absolutely deserves five teams in the tournament. And even though St. John's lost, to me, I think they deserve to be in. But uh, obviously, you know, Marquette seized the game and won it by pulling away. So here's what Tartamellis said about what happened in that fourth quarter that led to the game getting away from his team? Uh, Coach, you talk about Murata, you know, neutralizing her with foul trouble in the first half, but that fourth quarter seems like she really took over. Um, you know, what were you seeing from her in terms of, you know, how she was able to penetrate the defense and get the kind of looks that, you know, she's been making for four years, especially in the mid-range game? Uh, I mean, she just gets to her spots, and so we, we didn't do a good enough job. I thought we did a good job getting around a couple times. We got caught on a couple switches that, uh, we need to be better with, um, but no, she she finishes. I mean, when she's playing well, she's a she's obviously a, an all biggest player for a reason. So um, no, she just played the way she does, and so uh, we didn't get her off her spots enough. I thought in the second half. So for the second year in a row, Marquette UConn in the semis. Now to the night session, which is where it really got fun and weird for that matter. Villanova was really in the driver's seat in the first half. They led 40-32 heading into the locker room, and they actually ended the first half on a 16-4 run. And the head-to-head battle between Anissa Morrow and Maddie Segrist lived up to the hype. But Villanova led... You know, DePaul really, you know, cut into the lead. They got it down to two heading into the fourth. At 54-52. But then Kendall Holmes went crazy in the fourth quarter. And DePaul led by as many as six. Including, Anissa Mora looked like she may have hit a shot that um, may have buried Villanova with 251 to go. 70-64 and, you know, after that, you know... Mora was mean mugging. She was feeling herself, and rightfully so, after that kind of shot. But then, the game got away from DePaul in the most cataclysmic way possible. Just to chronicle what happened, right? 
their possessions in the final 251. Turnover, missed layup, two missed free throws, missed three, offensive rebound, missed layup, and two missed free throws. And the, and, the, and those two missed free throws, so like, I think it was an intentionally foul situation with Kendall Holmes and then an A of Peoples driving to the hole after they had allowed Nova to tie the game. She draws a foul with 11 seconds left, like, oh my God. DePaul's going to escape, but Peoples misses both. So to, let me So let me just backtrack a little bit. So here's how Villanova tied the game, right? Maddie Seeger's got a layup to make it 70-66. Kendall Holmes then misses two free throws. And Lucy Olsen gets a layup to make it a two-point game. DePaul calls a timeout. And then after the rebound, after the missed three and a missed second chance opportunity, Maddie Segrist ties it with a jumper. And DePaul calls a timeout. They get a good play. Peoples drives to the hoop, draws a foul on Mullen, who was trying to take a charge, but it was in the restricted area. And then Peoples misses both shots, and Mullen got the rebound. Nova calls timeout. Kendall Holmes gives the two fouls that they had left to give. Nova calls one more timeout, and then they really denied Maddie Segris well. So the ball was in Lucy Lucy Olsen's hands, and she draws the foul on Holmes, which is her fifth. And then that foul is committed with seven-tenths of a second left. Olsen makes the first. DePaul calls a timeout. And then she misses the second, which is probably for the best because time had to go off the clock with DePaul not having any timeouts left. And that was pretty much it. Villanova rises from the dead to win 71-70. to Segrist with 26 points and 14 rebounds, 11 of 22 shooting. Olsen with 19 points, 6 of 15 from the floor, and 2 of 6 from long range. Also had a team-high 7 assists. Christina Dalsey, 12.6 rebounds, 6 of 12 from the floor, 4 blocks. Segrist with 3 of her own. Maddie Burke with 10 points. Eight of, I'm pretty sure all 10 points came in the first half. 4 of 8 from the floor and 2 of 5 from long range. And then 4 bench points, 2 each from Megan Olbries and Bella Runyon. And Villanova won despite being out-rebounded 54-36. But they did turn it over just eight times, and DePaul, six of 16 free throw shooting, really, really doomed him, especially going one of seven in the fourth, and the, the and 0 for 4, as you saw and heard in the final minutes of the ball game. So let's hear now from uh, Coach Dillon, who liked the joke I made, kind of, because. This ain't the first time that Villanova's pulled a monumental comeback. I mean, look at what they did against St. John's seven weeks before this. When they were down 15 with like five minutes left and they pulled it out. And then something else I noticed, Maddie Segrist did a great job of calming Christina Dalsey down after committing a foul on uh, Morrow on the closeout on a three. And she looked visibly frustrated. You know, the sophomore 
you know, a little, you know, showing a little immaturity, but Maddie did a great job of like talking her off the ledge, calming her back down and getting her to lock back in. So here's what, so again, so here's coach Dylan and Maddie talking about those two things I mentioned. Coach, I know Maddie mentioned the St. John's comeback and, you know, essentially almost like deja vu in a sense of just being able to pull pull off the improbable. I mean, dare I say, with your team's mental toughness to pull this off again, basically, dare I say, I mean, your cats have nine lives. <laughs> good <one. laughs> That's good. Uh, they don't quit. They, they don't. It, it's... You see it every day at practice, and when you see them slipping a little bit, you call them out and they, they respond. So uh, it comes down to just that that will to win and will to do anything necessary. You know, we were tag teaming people in there. We threw Caitlin Oriole in. We threw uh, Bella Runyon. Like, everyone's going to give everything they have uh, and just work it out together. So uh, I, I was really proud of that. It's what I'll say. Their, their commitment today to just finding a way to get a win. It may not have been the result that we got. You know, a couple, you know, balls bounced uh, nicely for us down the stretch with DePaul missing a few foul shots and it gave us an opportunity. But you just feel like you gotta leave it all out there and this group certainly does. Maddie, I noticed um, sometime in the third quarter, it seemed like uh, Christine, after fouling Morrow on a three, she seemed very heated and you went over as essentially to, you know, like talk her off the ledge. I mean, so, I mean, what were you telling her? And I mean, she scored on the next possession right after. So how impressed were you by her response? Yeah, I mean, I thought she was doing a great job defensively on Morrow. I mean, she's, Morrow's a great player. She's gonna get her points, she's gonna take her shots. And I thought, you know, it was a tough, I thought it was a great contest. And then, you know, she went a little too far and fouled her. And I just was like, Chris, like, we can't lose you right now. You are too valuable to this game. Um, you know, we need you to like not, you know, not shut down. And she didn't. She responded. You know, she got gold baskets in a row. And I thought she did an unbelievable job rebounding. So, Lucy, um, obviously, on the final possession, I think everyone in the building had a feeling of who was going to get the ball, and obviously they did the ball clearly denied her. So on that final possession, you know, what were you seeing and ultimately, you know, leading to the drive that drew the foul and then ultimately going to the line and sealing the deal? Yeah, I mean, Maddie being such a great player, like you have to deny her the ball. So I just knew if my opportunity came, I'd have to take advantage of it. And that's it. <laughs> Luckily, I was ready for it. Meanwhile, for DePaul, Anissa Mora with 24 points, 17 rebounds, 10 of 27 shooting, and 2 of 8 from long range. By the way, I probably should have mentioned, uh, yeah, I almost forgot I asked a question to Lucy Olsen also. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, Kendall Holmes played all pretty much all 40 minutes. She fouled out, but I mean, in the fourth quarter, she went absolutely nuts. 20 points, 7 of 14 shooting, 5 of 9 from long range. Anaya Peoples, 17 points, 7 of 13 shooting, and one of one from long range. She also had six boards and five assists. Darion Rogers with eight points, four of 13 shooting. So a rough day for the junior. And then Kiki Rimmer, just one point in 16 minutes. Zero points from the bench. And DePaul, 38% from deep at 8 of 21, but inside the arc, just 20 for 53. So even worse percentage, well, a worse percentage inside the arc. You know, Coach Bruno, you know, he said it in the press conference, you know, like, 
we really were supposed to have the game won, and, you know, he doesn't really like harping on free throws, but it, it was too hard to ignore because those ended up making a difference in the game and the outcome of the game. So here's Coach Bruno now, and I asked him what he saw in that last possession in terms of and how he drew it up to deny Maddie as much as possible and actually being successful in that, having Lucy Olsen take that final shot instead of the potential National Player of the Year. Uh, coach, on that final possession, um, I mean, what did you see there in, you know, in terms of drawing up the defense for the timeout? Was the goal to really deny secrets as much as it is to make sure she did, that, did not have that last shot? Absolutely. And we're always trying to, I mean, the whole game plan revolves around defending Mandy. And, and you know, we, we played off some people all night long trying to get some help to Mandy because she's just such a great player. She really is truly uh, a great, you know, one of the best players ever played in the East, one of the best players in America right now. So you're, you're constantly trying to get secondary help to her, but she's just really, really good. And what did you see on that last possession in terms of um, how the play developed and how it was guarded? Say it again. Uh, so, so what did you see in terms of the possession, how it unfolded, and how, you know, you know it's guarded? I that she's, we, we had help, you know, we needed to get help to her. Again, when you guard Maddie, it's not, she's not a prescription defender. You can't guard her with prescriptions because she's got so many things she can do. I mean, she can drive the ball to the basket, she can pull up going left, she can pull up going right. So you, you want to keep the ball out of her hands. You want to send a second player to her. We didn't really get a, a second player to her like we would have liked to have gotten a second player to her early enough. But you know that's it, you know the, the the possessions before the Maddie ending basket is what needed to happen. We had the ball and we were up six with the basketball. We got to win the game by making stops, and we made stops, and we didn't rebound the basketball, and, 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 we, we, and we didn't make stops. So it's really much more than one possession against Maddie Secrets. There's a lot of possessions tonight that we had to do a better job defensively than some of the other players. You know, Mandy Burke starts out with six points in the first quarter. All right, that's, that's, not, that's not on the game plan. So if you thought that game was good, Seton Hall Creighton was like, hold my beer. I mean, it really was neck and neck the whole way, and Seton Hall really was getting some separation, and it looked like, oh my God, they're going to pull another upset here. In the 6-3 game. So Seton Hall led 19-18 after one. Uh, Creighton really... They got up eight in the second quarter. 30-22 after a Jamie Horan three to force a timeout. Actually, no, it was Lauren Jensen who hit, who hit the three to force the timeout. Jamie Horan hit the three right before that. But Seton Hall responded well. They closed the, the first half on a 9-3 to three run to get it down to two heading into the locker room with LPL getting a steal and a bucket, just beating the buzzer and getting the layup off right before the red light went off on the backboard. And Seton Hall rode the momentum into the fourth and led 49-42. to 42. And the Pirates built that lead all the way up to 8 
they actually forced a timeout. LPL made it 53-45 when Jim Flannery called his first timeout. And it was 55-47 after a couple free throws by Azana Baines. But Creighton roared right back. They actually tied it on a three by Morgan Molly. Uh, so it was an 8-0 run after a Jayla Jordan layup capped off by a Molly three to tie it at 57. But Seton Hall scored five on it, five unanswered to go up five with 17 seconds left. But, you know, they left some points at the line. Keenan made one of two. LPL made one of two down the stretch. So it was 62-57 and then... Trying to see who made the three to cut it to two. It was it was Molly who cut it down to three with 15 seconds left. And it was two seconds after Creighton called timeout. And then after that, LPL makes just one of two. So it's still a one possession game. Creighton calls timeout. LPL gives a foul, but no time went off the clock. So not great. And then, listen, fouling up three is probably the smartest thing to do and uh coach B elected not to do it you know choosing I guess your Mohegan son might as well roll the dice and uh, listen should he have fouled yes and even he admitted it and for him to take the fall for that you know that's incredibly gracious and that's coach B to a T for you so on that play Rachel Saunders, it looks like, okay, she's going to take a top of the three key here. Top of the key three here. Blech. Really talking like someone who just woke up at 1140 this morning. Lovely, right? So she elects not to take the three and takes a step in and draws the, the defense in and gets Emma Ronzik wide open on the wing. She knocks down the three to tie the game at 63. Like Villanova. Rose back from the dead. To me, it looked like absolutely perfect. It was like Jim Flannery being a mastermind. With Saunders being the decoy and drawing the defense in to get his leading scorer for the game and from last season. Granted, she was third in scoring this year, but to get a perfect look. At the game tying three, which according to Ronzik, she didn't know was going to happen because she wasn't expecting to get the pass from Saunders. So here's what Ronzik had to say. And I, I'm pretty sure Flan had something to say about it too. So here were the quotes I got regarding uh, that game tying three in regulation. Emma on that game tying three. I mean that, I credit your coach for this a beautifully drawn set. I mean, were you ready to catch and shoot? And did you know Rachel was essentially the decoy? Like she had a wide open on the top of the key, but she baited the defense in for you to get a wide open three in the wing. Yeah, I mean, I definitely didn't know that I was the one that was going to be shooting that. Rachel was open. I thought she was going to shoot it. And in the locker room after the game, she was like, yeah, I wasn't shooting it. I just saw you. And, <laughs> you. and I was like, okay. So I didn't really have time to think about it. So it just went up. 
Coach, I definitely want to ask you about that set at the end of regulation. I mean, you could have prepared for a scenario where Seton Hall was going to foul you up three with a foul to give and obviously the double bonus situation. But, you know, what were you looking for in terms of a setup for Rachel, Emma, or any one of your shooters to take that game time three? Well, Morgan's right. I mean, the one that we... The one before that, but when Morgan made the corner three, that was one that I, I just blew up on the fly. I didn't have that in, wow. but they executed it. Um, it was just, you know, we got Morgan to the side and tried to get cute and do something a little bit different. But, uh, but, but you know, the point was the ball did get moving and they were in rotation. And I'm like, you know, I thought what Emma thought, which was that Rachel's probably should have shot him by number three. And when she put the ball on the floor, I thought maybe she was going to shoot a two. Uh, but, you know, she made a great play, and Emma caught it ready. And, you know, I think that's what I really am proud about is that we, you know, we missed some shots for the greater part of the game. And, and just still believing yourself down the stretch is, is huge. And then the other part that I told him is we executed down the stretch, but we won – we won the game on Morgan's putback, which is an effort play. It's a, it's a you know, that's just a blue collar play. And, and as a team, that to me is is, is more satisfying than that we executed down the stretch. Is that, that, that we we went and made a made a play um, to win the game in, in that fashion. So yeah, I mean, we didn't have a lot of options. I think that you know, and when you're down, you know like we were, a sense of desperation sometimes clears your mind a little bit because you, you know you have to you know you have to execute you know you, have, you know you have to let the ball fly you can't you can't hesitate so LPL misses a runner off the front rim and they can't get a second opportunity shot off so we're going to go to overtime tied at 63 and it was back and forth back and forth with the only separation that came, you know, I think there were only maybe an instance for each team where they got back-to-back scores. So here's how it started. You know, Baines, one of two from the line. Ronzik, one of two from the line. Bembry jumper. Ronzik layup. Baines layup. Ronzik layup. Jensen, three to take the lead. The, the back-to-back buckets. Uh, Baines, missed free throw. Uh, ba- no, Baines layup. And then... You had a turnover. Victoria Keenan did a great job of, you know, forcing a steal and a turnover. And they checked the monitor, Seton Hall ball. And then LPL's fouled. Keani Lockett fouls out Rachel Saunders also fouled out you know at the beginning of the overtime period so LPL makes both to retake the lead Lauren Jensen makes a jumper to take the lead right back and then off a scene hall timeout a perfect play my memory gets a wide open layup and it looks like oh god my memory just did it to him again 74-73 Creighton calls timeout Emma Ronzig drives to the layup from afar, it looked like she traveled, but as I watched the replay, it wasn't. She barely kept that left p- 
pivot foot down as she was going up for the shot. And on a helter-skelter sequence, out of nowhere comes Morgan Molly on the backside and on her left side where she's a southpaw. So she's able to get the rebound, puts it back, and it rattles home right at the horn. And I guess... Creighton gave Seton Hall a taste of their own medicine from a year ago. A buzzer beating win. This time it's at the horn. No time left after Molly had the put back. And Creighton wins. 75-74 in overtime. And in terms of the, you know, the Big East Women's Tournament covering now the last two years, that has to have been the best game I've ever had the pleasure of covering. So before I talk about the stats from the game, got to get some thoughts about that overtime and that last play uh, from from Coach Flannery about, you know, just the back and forth of the overtime. And of course, got to ask the hero of the moment, which you're going to hear first about that play that, you know, you may not practice in the backyard trying to get a put back at the buzzer. But getting to live every kid's dream out of hitting a buzzer beater to win a big game in March. And uh, for you, Morgan, um, obviously that was a hectic sequence at the very end of the game. Was that one of those, you know, you just mentally black out and you just instinctively just go to the basket to try to get the put back? Yeah, um, we like sort of had a play drew up, but Emma, like the way we caught the ball, Emma really wasn't going downhill, so it was yeah. kind of like broken and... Luckily, she checked it up there with enough time uh, for aiming, but I was just, I didn't even know we were losing. I was like, hmm? I'm sure. <laughs> so, that overtime, it really was just back and forth, back and forth. Uh, as the coach, it's normally your responsibility to keep your players level-headed, um, to navigate those highs and lows, but as a coach, I mean, were you... I mean, can you possibly describe the the swing of emotions as, you know, you guys went tit for tat with obviously the with obviously, you know, the climax of the game being in your favor. Yeah. Well we didn't get enough they're all I'm fine, I can talk about Um we didn't get enough stops in overtime. I mean we really put put a lot of pressure on ourselves to keep scoring because um and, and when I say we didn't get stops, that's probably not crediting Seton Hall enough because they're a really good offensive team and Park Lane was was really good tonight. So and, and other kids hit big shots, you know, Baines and Pembry hit big shots, but you know, yeah, it was one of those where usually when teams get tired and know each other that well, you don't you don't see an overtime where it's score, score, score. You see it being a little bit more of a struggle to score. So but um, but we we, we hung in there. I thought our, our movement, our player movement was good, especially for being that late in the game. And that's, you know, I think that's uh, encouraging going forward that, you know, we can be a team that doesn't just, you know, kind of sit on the ball in, in a situation where we're a little bit tired. I thought we fought through fatigue and, and ran good offense in the overtime. So let's take a look at the stats here. Emma Ronzik leads the way with 22 points, 7 boards and 6 assists, 9 of 19 shooting, 2 of 8 from behind the arc. Molly Mo, uh, Lauren Jensen was 16 points, 6 of 14 shooting, and 4 of 10 from behind the arc. 13 each for Molly Mogensen, who fouled out. 
six boards, three assists, five of 12 from the floor, and three of nine from long range. I mean, she did most of her damage in the first half. And then Morgan Molly, 13 points, 10 boards, 5 of 12 from the floor, 2 of 7 from long range, but she made those two threes that she made count in the fourth quarter. And that rebound stick back, you know, that that gave her a double-double. Because, I mean, she was already in double figures, but that 10th rebound gave her the double-double. And then Rachel Saunders, 8 points, 2 of 3 from the floor, 1 of 2 from long range, 3 boards, 3 assists, and the only bench points they got Jamie Horan knocked down a three, as I mentioned in the second quarter. And 42% for Creighton for the game, 32.5% from behind the arc, 13 of 40. So inside the arc, they were 15 of 26. And, you know, Creighton, give them credit, they won this game despite three of their players fouling out. And they only went 6 of 10 from the free throw line. Seton Hall, 18 of 24. But give credit to Creighton, you know, they held Seton Hall to just 2 of 14 from long range and right around 43% from the floor. But that 2 of 14 definitely sticks out. But in terms of, um, I'll get to Coach Bazell in a second. So, in potentially her final game in a Seton Hall uniform, Lauren Park Lane, at least she left it all out there, played all 45 minutes, 36 points, 14 of 30 from the floor, 1 of 6 from long range, 8 boards, 6 assists for the 5'3 senior. Azana Baines had a double-double, 11 points and 11 rebounds, 3 of 11 shooting. Maya Bembry, who again was the hero against Creighton a year ago, Nearly did it to him again. 10.6 rebounds on 5 of 6 shooting. And by the way, she only played like not even 12 minutes. Let me see. How many minutes she played? Friday. Bembry played 13 minutes on Friday. She played 42 last night. 10.6 rebounds on 5 of 6 shooting. Sydney Cooks limited to just 18 minutes. 9 points, 3 of 5 shooting and knocked down her only 3 points after the game. Jayla Jordan, five points off the bench in 27 minutes in place of Cooks. Case Satterfield knocked down a couple free throws and played nine minutes. And then uh, Victoria Keenan, who got the start, just one free throw. And played 40 minutes in this game. So for Seen Hall, you know, when Crane started red hot from three, they could have just strategized to limit the three and stop them from letting it fly and killing them from behind the arc. But Coach Mazzella had a game plan and he stayed the course and it it really worked all night. And with his team leaving everything out there on the floor, you know, they did everything they could. And the only bad thing, the only negative was that they were on the wrong side of the scoreboard. So here's Coach Mazzella talking about, you know, staking, uh, sticking to the game plan, even though Creighton started red hot from three in the first half. Coach, I mean, Creighton was just firing at all cylinders in the first half from behind the arc. I mean, what kind of adjustments did you make in that um, going into the second half to limit their three-point production and, you know, race out to that eight-point lead that you got to in the fourth? Honestly, not. We followed the game plan perfectly. The game plan was to make them shoot as many three-pointers as possible and not give them pink points. Now, we're not going to hold them up. Well, we're going to guard the three and run all the way out there. So instead of the 13 threes they make, they make 
11 or 10, and, but they scored 50 points in the paint of 40. Scored 24, that was our game plan. We did a great job. Obviously, in the last two shots, we didn't want them to make threes. But when we really wanted to defend them, we did a great job. It's just hard to lose 13 to two from three, but you know, we took 14 and you know, Jayla and Victoria had great looks to win the game. They make either one of them win the game. You know, we're going up nine, 10 points, and they just miss. They have great shots, but it's just played the heart out. You know, I, again, people look at, oh, they shot, they made, shot thir they made 13 threes. They made eight in like the first 10 minutes of the game. I think they had, they had, they had in the first half, in the first half, they had eight, they had five the rest of the half, and they still only scored 24 points in the paint. We also scored 34 24. Dude, great job. I'm proud of the kids. I, you know, they just, it was just it's a tough loss at the end to lose that way. Difficult. We'll go right here, third row, Lisa. Hey, Coach. Whew. So, everybody take a deep breath. Let's get you ready for semifinal Sunday. And it starts at, again, at three, this 3 o'clock FS1. Marquette taking on number nine, UConn. The Golden Eagles beat UConn in Milwaukee the last time they met. And Marquette has really been just phenomenal. You know, ever since, you know, they got blown out by Villanova, they have been just been on fire. Winners of seven of their last eight to get on the right side of the bubble. But, you know, this is different now because both times when Marquette played UConn, the Huskies didn't have AZ FUD. Nor did they have Caroline Ducharme. And by the way, note about Ducharme, she went down in a heap yesterday and she was holding her head, which I just felt so bad for her because she missed 13 games due to concussion protocols and she appears to have sustained another head injury and, you know, she came back out to the bench in the second half, but granted, not in uniform anymore. So my heart breaks for Caroline. It, it really does. Because she's a great player when she's fully healthy. And Gino, you know, she he even said in the post-game press conference, you know, it, it's funny, but it's also not funny how, you know, it, this she's like a magnet for head injuries. Like, it it sucks that this is Caroline's luck. It, it really, it sucks. My heart breaks for her. I, it really does. So they're going to be without Caroline, most likely. But at least they have AZ back. Marquette's going to push this team to the limit. I'll tell you that right now. They're going to have to do the things right that they did in Milwaukee, forcing turnovers. So UConn's going to have to protect the basketball. And Marquette's going to have to play that kind of stifling defense in order to stay in the game. Like if They're going to have to... They can't expect to beat UConn by pushing the tempo because you know UConn, when you do that, that's when they try to turn you over. And get some runouts. And UConn, they got their swagger back. So if you're UConn, you got to ride that out a little bit. So in terms of a game prediction, expect a rock fight. UConn will win this game. They're favored by 14 and a half, by the way. No line on Creighton Villanova, by the way, from what I see. But I got UConn winning. I think I final score prediction, I got 58-48. And then Creighton 
against Villanova. Both of these teams picked up blowout wins on the other team's court. Creighton won 67-46 in the Cats. Big East opener at the Finn on December 2nd. And then January 20th, Villanova blew Creighton out at Sokol Arena, 73-57, but in that game, Nova did most of their damage in the first half as they led 26-6 after one and 46-19 at the break. And that was the game where Maddie Segrist set the new all-time scoring record at Villanova passing Utica native and the legendary Shelly Pennefather. And Creighton, ever since that game, you know, they've been really, really solid. They've won 10 of their last 11, but their only loss coming at UConn at Gamble in a game where Caroline Ducharme Say two free throws to win the game. So Creighton is red hot, and both of these teams, I mean, this semifinal maybe slash should have been DePaul Seton Hall, but it's not. We gotta see a really good match between Creighton and Nova on FS1 at 5:30. You know, these teams, given that they exchange blowout wins. And again, I had Creighton winning the semifinal game by three before the tournament. But, you know, as I said, picks can vary based on performances. Like, that's why I have UConn beating Marquette by 10 now because of that factor of AZ FUD being back. And both of these teams are going to be gassed. But I think the difference here is... Again, they exchange blowout wins on each other's home court. So I think some is going to even out here. And you know what? With these teams flare for the dramatic last night, I think we're going to see another game like that tonight. And you know what? I'm going to go as far as to say we're going to go to overtime. But Villanova, with Natty Segrist putting her team on her back, I think Crane's key to the game. They're going to, they were one of two teams to hold. Segrist to her season low of 21 points. If they can do that, they will be in the right position to win the game. And they're going to actually have, got to have them knock down their threes. And if you're Villanova, you know, Segrist got to do her thing. And you got to get the help like, you know, Lucy Olsen provided, like Maddie Burke provided. Because Burke and Olsen each had 10 in the first half against DePaul. Burke, zero points in the second half. Olsen, nine. And Christina Dalsey came alive. Like, you're going to need her to defend the paint well and score down low. And for Creighton, you know, you got to avoid a situation like you did last night where you got three players fouling out. But I think we're going to get another overtime thriller. And my final score, Villanova, 80. Creighton 79. So, hopefully semifinal Sunday will match the drama and excitement from quarterfinal Saturday. So again, that's FS1 at 3. 
for Marquette and UConn, and then 5.30, Creighton and Villanova. Make sure to watch those games. I mean, now that the Big East men's regular season is in the books, I'll have more on that. Probably Tuesday as we get the stage set for the Big East men's tournament at the Garden starting on Wednesday. But my my focus remains right here at Mohegan Sun. Got two really, really good games I'm really looking forward to covering. You know, obviously last night was insane. So today's semifinal and even the championship game, that's going to be hard to match. In terms of, you know, the excitement, the drama. But, you know, it's Big East basketball. Anything can happen. This is March Madness after all, right? So thanks for tuning in, everyone. I got to go get ready to uh, get back to Mohegan Sun and hopefully find my phone charger that I lost yesterday as I came to find out when I got back to my room at like 2-something in the morning. Because, you know, Mohegan Sun. So, yeah, hopefully I find that phone charger because I, I couldn't have gone anywhere else. So hopefully I get a little bit of good luck finding that phone charger because whatever other charger I have is not as a turbocharger and it kind of sucks. So thanks for tuning in. Make sure to watch the games today at, on FS1.